This is the Art of Dental Finance and Management with Art Wiederman. Brought to you by Decisions in Dentistry and the Academy of Dental CPAs. Whether it's taxes, investing, or planning wisely, Art is your guide to make your dental practice as profitable as possible. Here's your host, Dental CPA, Art Wiederman. And hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Art of Dental Finance and Management with Art Wiederman. CPA, welcome to my podcast. I'm Art Wiederman. I'm a director uh, in the dental division of I Bailey, which is a wonderful CPA firm that I just, uh, our dental group and our whole CPA firm merged with about two and a half weeks ago in late July of 2020. And today I've got a real special uh, episode for you today. Um, one of the things that I'm trying to do in this series, especially now that we're in uh, heading into the second half of 2020, is to to, to bring you people and resources that can really kind of resonate into, gee, these are some of the things that I want to do. And um, some of these resources are going to be private practice dentists that I've run across and met and have been very impressed with. And uh, Dr. Sam Ahani, who's our guest today, is one of those dentists. And we're going to talk with Dr. Ahani today. He practices in Northern California. Uh, He's got a very successful dental practice that he uh, manages and runs. Uh, We're going to talk to him about what he's done uh, you know, when COVID came out during the the shutdown and, and what he's been doing, because he was telling me that he's just really practice is doing well. And then he's got a really, really cool problem that he has actually solved having to do with, um, you know, relationships between specialists and general dentists. So we're going to get into that. Uh, before we uh, uh, bring on uh, Dr. Ahani, what we're going to do is give you some information today. Uh, if you want to get a hold of me in my office in Tustin, California, which is in Orange County, uh, I'm at 657-279-3243. That's 657-279-3243. Uh, you can email me at artweederman at gmail.com. That's art, W-I-E-D-E-R-M-A-N at gmail.com. Um, we have this wonderful, wonderful partnership with uh, Decisions in Dentistry magazine, and uh, they have great, great clinical content and wonderful continuing education courses. Uh, go to their website at www.decisionsindentistry.com. And on the first page, you'll see a link to the uh, podcast. And if you want a complimentary 30-minute consultation with a member of the Academy of Dental CPAs, you can get that there or just go onto our mailing list. Um, again, if you want to see our um, all of our podcasts, and we're approaching 100, I've got, I'm working on a really cool surprise for podcast number 100. I'm not going to tell you yet because I don't have it nailed down, but it's going to be really cool. Um you can go to our website, which is www.idbailey, that's E-I-D-E-B-A-I-L-L-Y.com. And uh, all of our podcasts are there as they are at the Decisions and Dentistries website. And if you are looking for a dental-specific CPA anywhere in the United States, we've got you covered. Go to our website, which is www.adcpa.org. So uh, let's go. Let's go uh, to our guest today. My my guest is Dr. Sam Ahani. Dr. Ahani has a, as I mentioned earlier, is a private practice dentist. His practice is located in Pacifica, California, and um, Dr. Dr. Ahani went and did his uh, undergraduate work at San Francisco State University in uh, computer information systems. And in 1996, he graduated from the University of Pacific Dental School and. Uh, one of the best dental schools in the country. I've I've uh, I've met uh, many many people from there, and it's just a fine fine institution. Did a residency in Washington D.C. I believe he told me at the VA in 1996. And he th- the reason I brought Dr. Ahani on again is because he is not only a, a dentist who's run a dental practice. He's been involved in some other businesses, which I'm going to let him share with you. But he's got a lot of really great insight into what is going to help get you back to hopefully where you were after this horrible pandemic, uh, you know, after the opening of the offices. So Dr. Sam Ahani, welcome to the Art of Dental Finance. I'm really excited to be here, Art. Thank you so much. 
Well, thank you for having me. Now, you you did. I, I do have to be nice to you because uh, I can't say anything bad. Although we we are about five hundred miles away, I, I I understand that you are uh, uh, you are a martial artist. Uh, are you a, a a black belt, brown belt, uh, no, dental I'm, belt? I'm, How does that work? I'm a purple belt in Brazilian jiu jitsu, um, but just be nice to me anyway, please. <laughs> I will. I will try and I will try and do that. And Dr. Ahani's um, uh, wife is also a dentist. She's a pediatric dentist, so it kind of runs in the family. So, Dr. Ahani, why don't you give us a little bit? I, I mentioned where you went to school and everything. Tell us a little bit about your journey and how you got started in dentistry, and maybe a little bit about some of the businesses um, that you've operated in, and um, and and just tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Uh, just a quick correction. I graduated University of Pacific 1995. I, and, I'm sorry. Uh, no, no, it's okay. I just don't want all my classmates to to, <laughs> to get when they hear this to get all over me. So the story is interesting. I had a I had an article after uh, graduating from college. My parents are in the glass business, and I opened my own glass shop. It was called Auto Glass Doctor, and uh, worked there for a couple of years. You know, my hands were constantly black from the urethane that you used to put glass in. And uh, one of my friends who was going to UOP at the time uh, came to my shop and he said, you know, what are you doing here? You know, I was making a lot of money, but obviously kind of unhappy. You know, one of the things I remember is that my hands were always black. And he came over one time and he said, why don't you, um, why don't you come and um, take a look at UOP? He was, he was going to school there. And I went into the lab and I really liked, you know, the handwork that they were doing there. And uh, kind of decided, you know, maybe this is for me, but I didn't have any of the prerequisites. Uh, I went home. I started talking to my parents about it. And uh, they said, if you want to go, you know, just close up the shop and go tomorrow. <laughs> so wow. basically, wow. I didn't close it up tomorrow because there were still cars in the shop. But, you know, <laughs> yeah, a week or two later, uh, we just basically shut it down. Uh, I moved into my with my cousin, who's now an oral surgeon. Uh, we moved in together to do this together. And we basically started taking the prerequisites and got into UOP together and uh, started in 1992, graduated in 95. Um, met my wife, who's now a pediatric dentist. Um, in 97, we bought this small little um, three-chair office that we found through our dental CPA, actually. And it was in foreclosure. And we turned it into, a, if you can imagine, a pedo and a general practice in three chairs. Uh, imagine that. And we, we, that's how we kind of got started. And then ever since then, we basically, we expanded it. And uh, in 2010, we were able to buy a building, uh, kind of overlooks the ocean. So you're really excited about that. And kind of the, the rest is history. So how many, how many, op and you, you had mentioned you're working with a dental CPA. I know you had mentioned it's uh, happens to be one of our ADCPA member firms. And, uh, Northern California, my good friend, uh, if I, I'll mention his name, Hayden Warhan. I've known Hayden for, oh my goodness, I've known, Hayden was one of the first people uh, that I met in dentistry. I met him at the CDA North Convention in the mid late 80s, and I, I just have such great respect for Thomas Dahl and uh, I met Sherman Dahl, uh, who was one of their, you know, Brent Thomas, Sherman Dahl. That's the, the the two founding two founding founding partners, and and Hayden was was right there. He's been there 30, 35 years, and it's a, it's been a real good um, good experience working with uh, Hayden and his team. Yeah, he's the, those guys are amazing, and we've um, basically, you know, I, Hayden found us the practice. I mean, literally found us the practice. He called us up one day and said, "This practice is for foreclosure." Uh, I know that they were doing well in there before. Go take a look at it. He got involved in the nitty gritty of actually bidding it. We had no idea. I mean, I'm 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 straight out of dental school. Like, how, how right. do this stuff works? But right. the office was nice. It had beautiful. Um, uh, it had beautiful three chairs and and a beautiful inside. And we bid on it and we got it. So yes, we owe a lot to Hayden that way because he actually got us started there. Well, he's one of the most well-respected uh, CPAs in in the country, uh, working with Dennis. I'm glad I'm glad you're in good hands. I'm I'm glad to hear you're working with an ADCPA member. Um, so let's start talking about what happened. So we we started hearing about COVID. Uh, I mean, probably we started hearing a little bit about it in 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 China in December and then January, and everybody started thinking, eh, no big deal. It's not happening. It's not here. Did you see this thing coming early or did it hit you like it hit everybody else on the you know March 17th? 
<laughs> I didn't see this coming, but I have an assistant, Ivy, who has ties in China. And oh. she was really closely monitoring this thing in China and what was happening and what was happening with um, dental offices in China. So she slowly started to order uh, a lot of PPE. Oh, and, and smart so lady. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, she ordered so much that at some point I got a, I got a call from my, you know, my accountant, uh, Hayden's uh, bookkeeper. And she's like, uh, Dr. Arnie, something's wrong here. You, you, you spent triple the amount that you're spending in, in uh, you that you usually spend on, on PPE. And I said, uh, let me see what's going on. So I get called up and I talked to Ivy and my wife. She's like, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a good idea. So I, told, so I gave her the go ahead. She started ordering stuff, hand sanitizer, masks. Really, really smart of her to, you know, get ahead of the curve like that. Um, and we, so we really stocked up. So I, I literally had no idea that this would happen, but she did. And we were lucky that we were lucky that she did. Yeah. And I will tell you one of the biggest challenges, Dr. Ahani, that I had with my clients when I was talking to them, uh, living the PPP and EIDL, our listeners know that I've done, gosh, 30, 35 webinars and seven or eight straight podcasts on that subject. But we were talking about this as the fact that dentists were struggling struggling because they knew that when they opened, they were going to have to have all this uh, equipment and supplies and they couldn't get it. So you, you got to jump on it. And, and, and that also gives you a pipeline going forward, right? Uh, that's true. But also remember this, at the time, they're saying to everybody that, you know, the hospitals don't have PPE, they don't have N95 right. masks. Meanwhile, we're sitting on a bunch of masks and, and stuff. So I couldn't really just sit on it like that. So we kept ordering. So like Ivy was ordering these things for like 70 cents a mask or something. When we wow. kept ordering them, we were buying them at like $5 a mask. Wow. But then I could turn around and I donated a bunch of the masks to my friends and nurses. Actually, some patients were nurses. They would put stuff on, on things. So we just turned around and donated a bunch of the things because I knew that, you know, supply would catch up the demand on this. You know, I didn't know when, but I knew it would. It would be more expensive, but it would. So I was able to actually donate a bunch of that stuff, which I was really happy to be able to do. And uh, um, God bless you for doing that. I'm sure you helped a lot of people because it was, it was really touch and go for a couple of months, uh, still is in some places in the country. So, okay. So we get to March 16th, March 17th, um, CDA, ADA come out with a, with a, on their website, strongly recommending that dental offices shut down for everything except emergency uh, care. And I'm assuming you kind of did that like the rest of the world did, or what did you do? I dragged my I dragged my feet a little bit um, just to see where it would land, and then when they put the shelter in place, I couldn't really tell the team to you know let's let's keep right. working. Right. Um, so basically, once the shelter in place was placed, uh, we we I just told them shut it down right now. So um, we started to reschedule patients, and you know I mean we only rescheduled them like one week at a time to start. Right. So so that's how it all kind of started. It was like dragging our feet a little bit and then suddenly like, okay, well, this is real. Okay. Everybody just shut it down. So, so did you, did you reschedule people for like, I mean, let's, let's say end of April. Did you start calling the end of March? Did you start calling people and saying, okay, I'm going to go ahead and reschedule you. We should maybe June 1st or something, or what did you do with that? We were, we were scheduling literally a week at a time. So we would take next week's patient and schedule them whenever we could, you know, okay. out, out. The reason was we didn't know how long this was going to last. So I didn't want to like, there, you know, suddenly because everything was so fluid at the time. I didn't want to have the, you know, say, OK, now you can go back to work. And now we've rescheduled three weeks or a month's worth of patients and have to try to get them back, you know, back in. So we started them at just a week at a time. And then near the end where it was just dragging on, we started to do two weeks at a time. Um, so our schedule was kind of full the whole time. Obviously patients, you know, we were sending emails and stuff. They knew that we weren't going to be able to see them because unless it's an emergency, we weren't supposed to. So they right. kind of knew that they were canceled. So we didn't, in other words, uh, I think it's a bad idea to schedule them out too far because you don't know, and they might not want to come in if you schedule them out too far. So that's how we did it. So did, when you, okay. So when did, when did you open up? When did you, you know, when did you go back into practicing? Oh, uh, we started mid-May. We started, okay. uh, sorry, mid-May. That's right. All right. And so did you, did you, I, I mean, I had some doctors that did what, what they called a soft opening and less hygiene and a, a lighter doctor schedule. What, what did you do? 
Um, so mid-May, okay, so here, here's a few of the issues, and I'm sure everybody else had them. Actually, we were never closed, closed, okay? There was somebody always in the office answering calls, uh, one person, and then we, uh, one of our doctors lives very close to the office, so he would come in with one assistant and see emergency patients. Emergencies, you know, everything from, like, my temp fell out, because at this point they're in temps for a long time, to, you know, extractions and those kind of things. So we never shut down completely. The front desk never shut down. So they were they were always there either rescheduling or taking care of patients. Uh, and we did do video calls and we would send patients uh, emails. So, so, patient, so we had to keep everybody kind of together at this time, patients, team members with Zoom calls, you know, that kind of stuff. Come mid-May, not everybody's really, you know, shelter in place was still in place. But I knew that if we didn't get the office rolling somehow, this anxiety would just get kind of worse and worse. So what we did was um, we didn't have any assistants that were willing to work. So I actually uh, had to call one of them up, uh, one of the ones who was like re least resistant, because, you know, remember, they were getting PPP, so it doesn't really make any difference if you're working or not. So I had to, I had to basically give him a $3,000 bonus to work those two weeks. And, okay. he, and he accepted it. And we had to do that a couple of times because the people who were in the office were getting paid and the people who were out of the office were getting paid wasn't really fair. Right. So we, we had to actually, even though there's no production, no collection, it put us in a position where we had to kind of bonus out the people who, who were in the office, but felt it was worth it because it was just gave continuity to the business. They, they didn't want to come out. They were, they were afraid of COVID. They were making more money on unemployment, maybe a little bit of both. I think it's a little bit of both. In my case, though, I think my team would, you know, my team is, they're, they're so great that it actually was, you know, fear of catching it. Right. Um, right, right so, right. and by, by being open to that, like, you know, just so, so your question was, how did we start? Yeah. Um, we, we opened up the office. We were seeing six, seven patients per provider. And it was one hygienist, one assistant, and one doctor. And mostly what we were doing is just, and one front desk. And mo uh, mainly what we were doing was catching up. You know, people need cementations and stuff. So we were just bringing those people in and, and catching up. But it did also help that, you know, people saw that, you know, nobody got sick. Uh, everybody was okay at the end of those two weeks. So it did make it easier for us to get back. During that period and even a little bit before that, we started doing trainings on how to, actually, I should say, a week or two before that, we started doing in-person trainings also. So just being in the office, being in the atmosphere, being together helped with the anxiety, I think so. So you were, it was interesting because a lot of my doctors, they, they weren't scheduling every week. But the good news about you scheduling every week, because obviously you had to call people and reschedule them when you weren't allowed to be open, which gives you more touches of the patients, if you will. That was probably good. That's right. I would think that that was good. And so um, so your schedule was a little lighter getting going in the first two weeks, maybe? Uh, yes, very much lighter, about a quarter of what we normally do, or maybe even less the, for the first two weeks. We're now at the uh, you know, we're middle of August now. Tell me how you ramped this practice up. What are the things that you did? What did you do with the schedule? And, and talk a little bit about that. Okay. Um, so... One of the things is that, you know, you can't have multiple people, you know, multiple patients being seen by one provider. That's one issue. Providers need more time in between patients. So that's another issue. So basically what we did was, um, and, you know, plus the other stuff, like, you know, you, we have pedo practice, so parents can't come in. There's a lot of stuff that goes on along right. with, you know, working here. Um, so what we did was we basically gave everybody an hour and 15 minutes per, per patient. And we extended the schedule to be like a 10-hour 10 uh, hour schedule. So right. they could see at least eight or nine patients in a day if, if we had the patients. They were getting paid overtime. So it was kind of like I thought of it as it's okay, it's hazard pay. Plus, we got all this PPP money that we, you know, right. uh, that, that we should use. And so, and interestingly, what happened was that, you know, we, we ultimately ended up doing a lot of production in those first two months. For a variety of reasons, I think one is patients didn't want to come in multiple times, so they were actually willing to, you know, do a bunch of work in one sitting, you know, more than before, even if, even if it meant they had to pay a little extra. Our doctors had more time because they're they're in there for, you know, that they had more assistance at their disposal, and also 
um, there that had hour and a half, hour and 15 minutes per appointment. So they was able to do more work in each sitting. And uh, it all actually turned out to, to work pretty well. Uh, let me see, is there anything else? I mean, but we did have all the PPE and all those things. I had ordered a bunch of um, um, suction units and surgical uh, filtration units that came uh, sometime in the mid, I think, June. So we were able to like, you know, we felt it made the staff and the patients feel a lot more comfortable that we were so proactive. And that's why we were able to kind of ramp up like that. And we would so, keep the patients in the loop too on all that stuff. So, so tell me about the verbal skills that you were using, both with your team and with your patients. Let's start with your team. So, cause I, I have preached Dr. Hani that leadership is so critical right now. Um, and, and I've got a lot of doctors that I've talked to that they're, they're, they need to step up to the plate. So what were like, some of the first things you told your team about this? Was it a positive message? Was it a realistic message? What, what were you telling them? Well, let, let me just start out by saying that, you know, my wife and I are sitting every day at home. You know, these are those initial Zoom visits with the, you know, the Zoom conversations with the team, right? We're, we're watching these numbers rise. We know we've got to go back to work at some point. So we've, we're both nervous and anxious about what's going to happen. And, but we have to put up a really solid front for the team. And what that means is that you have to make the team believe that everything is going to be okay, even though you're anxious. And right. so you know, the funny comment that I made to the team was, you know, the, like, I think it was the second Zoom meeting, kind of close to starting the, you know, the trainings and stuff. And I said, hey, everybody, how are you? And they said, oh, we're all fine. And I said, does anybody here know how to do anything else besides dentistry? <laughs> and they all, they all started to kind of laugh and, you know, kind of shake their heads. No, I'm like us either. Um, so basically, if you don't how to do anything else, this might be a good time. But if you don't know how to do anything else, it's kind of start. It's time to start figuring this out and go back to work. And everybody just kind of laughed a little bit, but then realized, yeah, that's kind of it. You know, we we don't know how to do anything else. So th I think that 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 helped a lot. The other the other thing that I told um the, the team that might be a benefit to your listeners is that I, I told them listen when we go back to work it's not like patients are coming here to be seen at the time of covid they're still coming here for good customer service to be taken care of well to be spoken to well it doesn't matter if you're hot it doesn't matter if you can't breathe you know out of your n95 we've got to still patients are still number one and we still got to you know make them feel welcome and, and happy and actually, I think that helped a lot to put it in perspective because a lot of places I go, I notice that, you know, people are down. It's kind of like an excuse not to have good customer service right now. That's kind of what I feel like. I don't blame them. It's hard to breathe in those masks. It's, you know, it's oftentimes procedures have changed, um, but uh, you still have to give good customer service. So those are the two things that I talked to the staff about. Yeah. And the, 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 like I say, the, le the leadership is so important, even now as we're coming out of this. So so you had a lot of pent up demand. You have a, a decent size, a good size practice, as you've shared with me. Um, and, and you had hundreds and hundreds of people. So first couple of months coming out of the gate, you were, you know, after you, you ramped up, you were doing better, right? Yeah, we were. We were actually we did about 20 percent more than a, is like an average month in these last two months in July and August. But I, you know, I, I'm still trying to figure out why, but I think it has something to do with all the pent up demand. Even though we're not seeing as many patients, we're able to take time and talk to the patients and um, we have more time with the patients. So there and there and patients are more willing to do more work in one visit because they don't want to come back as often. So that could be a talking point that you have with patients. We'd like to do all this at once. Um, are you willing? So I think I think that helps a lot with with production. Collections is still lagging, obviously, because, right. you know, by the time you start to collect, um, it, takes a, it takes a few months. But um, production has been really, really good. August, I can feel it slowing down a little bit. And so uh, we'll have to, you know, I'm really interested to see what happens in August. I think August is an interesting month when there's not a pandemic because a lot of people go on vacation, and I, I mean, I have, uh, I have, uh, almost 200 followers on my Instagram page. 
Uh, Arthur Wiederman, I think, is my Instagram page if you want to come follow me. And it's, it's nothing terribly exciting, but I, my, my, my youngest son, Forrest, uh, made me start an Instagram page. He said, Dad, you're the only human being I know that doesn't do social media. You're going to do this. And, and, and people are, I'm seeing people that are going, uh, you know, they're not taking cruises, they're not getting on airplanes and going to Europe, but they're, they're going to national parks and they're going boating and they're doing stuff. So that could be part of it. And, and so, so one of the things I want you to talk about is, did, have you been talking to your patients about the connection between healthy mouths and COVID and the immune system? Have you been getting into that conversation? No, we actually, no, we have not actually gotten into that conversation with them. There's so much going on in each visit with all the, you know, put your mask on, take your mask off, you know, uh, come here, let me take your, um, there's not a lot of conversing that needs to be done, <laughs> you know, because our actions are showing them that, you know, what needs to be done as far as, as far as the connection between COVID and uh, overall health. I mean, I think everybody kind of understands that, but we haven't been talking to them about oral health and COVID, which is not a bad idea, probably. No, that, that, that's what we're, we've been talking to some folks about doing that. So your hygiene department, again, did you, did you make longer hygiene appointments for that's each right. patient? That's right. Hour and 15 minutes. They usually get done in about 45 to 50 minutes. Um, doctor does the exam. They have about 20 minutes to, to clean up and spray and, you know, fog. And remember that everybody, you know, whatever you're doing, patients are seeing it. If you put, so for example, we try not to put two patients next to each other in the, you know, in two chairs next to each other. We try to put like an empty chair in the middle. So, you know, people, people try to notice these, you know, what you're doing, especially now they're watching everybody. So if you go to the waiting room and, for example, hug one of your, you know, cousin that came to the, um, you know, for cleaning, they're watching you. Oh, yeah. And so And you have to be, you know, you have to be really, really careful. As far as the hygiene uh, department, you know, we bought those big air vacuums. I think right. that made the, the, the made, you know, I don't know, I think they are effective. And also it made them feel comfortable and the patients feel more comfortable. For the first month and a half, we didn't actually do any ultrasonics. But, you know. Asking them to do, you know, hygiene without ultrasonics is pretty, is, you know, with, with all that stuff on and stuff is pretty hard. That's tough. Well, yeah. Yeah. It's tough. When, when, when the machines came, we started to use the ultrasonics and went to, you know, the 10 hour days. It's kind of working out okay. They're working longer days, but it's a slower pace. So nobody's complaining so far. So we'll talk later about. That. Well, they, they probably like the, the overtime and the, the unemployment did run out on the 31st of July. They're talking at this moment about, increasing it, but it's not going to be the $600 a week. I can almost yeah. guarantee you that from the things that I've, that I've read. So, so what were, what were some of the best moves you made opening your office up? Some, some of the, some of the real, just say, boy, I'm really glad I did this or boy, I'm really glad I did that. I, I'll tell you, you know, one thing is, you know, when some stuff like this happened, a lot of not just dentists, but business people in general, they try to throttle back and figure out how to, you know, how to um, spend less money. It's kind of like a restaurant that doesn't have any business. So they start to like, you know, serve yesterday's food today. And it's like an ever, you know, <laughs> it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy after a while. You really like during this time, we hired two people because I knew we'd have some people to, uh, we need somebody to, you know, go after hygiene for those next months where we don't have hygiene. You know, we'd have, we need more help with that. Um, we hired one more assistant. We were short anyway, but we were hired one more assistant to, you know, to help with the cleaning and all that stuff. One, one thing is that one thing I'm glad is that we ordered all those, you know, because, you know, that equipment wasn't cheap. It was like, you know, nope. I don't know, the ones I got was very, were very expensive and they were, you know, they were, um, sold out for, they didn't come for six weeks. So we ordered them very early on. I'm pretty happy. My brother was kind of the one who, my brother, the endodontist was the one who, said, let's just pull the trigger and buy these. And by having them, it just makes everybody feel better. So one of the things is, you know, don't throttle back. This is not the time to throttle back. That's kind of the, that's kind of, you know, what the PPP and the EIDL and all that stuff, that's why it comes in handy is because you can do a little more and not less. So I'm glad I didn't throttle back and like try to lay people off and, you know, and, um, you know, try to, you know, try to bring overhead down as much as I could. So I think that's one of the things is, when something like this happens, you can't be afraid to spend money on it. And that's what the government money was for. So that's how we spent it. I, I think that's 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 a great, great point. One of the things that I've learned, I've probably mentioned this on this podcast, folks, 
is I had a, I, I don't remember who it was. It was a business owner or a, another CPA friend of mine who told me, said, Arthur, the day you stop marketing your business and the day you stop trying to grow your business is the day your business starts to die. Does that seem reasonable to you? Uh, I, it's, it's totally true. If, you, if you're seeing the day where you're looking to see if you have to, like they raise the rent $1,000 and, and it's going to crush your business, that's the time that you should have probably closed it down already. So it's uh, it's if you're starting to penny pinch because you have to, then then that's a that's a clear sign that you should be thinking about maybe the opposite. Maybe you need to expand. And it's you're a- also sending a message to your team that well, you know, I'm pulling back and maybe we're not going to make it, and maybe they should look for another job or something like that. Not that it's or, easy or to find jobs. Home. You know, some dentists like they don't have patients for half a day and they send the team home. And so, you know, all that's, all that's, I mean, all that's telling them is that we don't have enough work for you. And then you lose one and you you save $300 on that day or $200, $300, you lose one. And then you end up spending $25,000 training somebody else. And maybe they're as good as the other one. And maybe they aren't, they probably continue to lose you money. I know Mm -hmm. it's a tough uh, pill to swallow for a lot of people, but when things like this happen, you can't be afraid to throw some money even though you're not sure if it's like, you know, spending all that money on the air filtrations, I was like, are you sure? Are we serious? <laughs> like, we're going to buy a bunch of equipment right now. We have no idea what's happening. There's no, there's not anything in the schedule, but I always go towards the, let's just do it. Um, because in the long run, losing your business is way worse than, you know, whatever money you spend on the equipment and, you know, the payroll and those kind of things. Well, we have a saying on our podcast that failure is not an option. And obviously you're, you're, you're my, one of my biggest cheerleaders uh, <laughs> no. for, for, for that. So in, in talking to the patients, this is something I'd love to get your take on talking to the patients. Do you tell the patients, okay, here's all the things we've done to make sure you're safe, or do you show them the machines, or what, what have you been doing to, to reassure patients, and how have they been, have they been apprehensive about the safety of your office? Uh, the patients come in a variety of uh, packages. Some of them <laughs> are not afraid at all. It couldn't be less on their mind. Um, some of them moderately they want to see you know they want to see that you're taking precautions and that's that's by and large that's where they're at the ones that are coming in and the other ones are just staying at home and they will not budge and they they're death scared to death of um, buying covid uh, getting covid as i told you all along we've been emailing patients so we've been telling them about you know kind of everything that we're doing even the struggles that we have you know you know those things we've been tell we were telling them uh, when we got when we get the new protocols in place, we sent one email. When we got the equipment uh, in place, we sent another email with like pictures. I mean, Art, if you've seen one of those suction things, you can't really miss it. Yeah, <laughs> it's exactly. Like, it's That's like a true. giant elephant in the middle of the a giant yeah. elephant in the middle of the room. I've and then that. we have, you know, we have those flashcards that are, you know, that are in front of the, you know, the front of the reception area. I mean, you really can't miss those things. So we don't. It's not so much talking to the patients, but it's very obvious. We set up a. Uh, outdoor seating area for the patients. We were lucky enough that we have, you know, an area where we can we can do that. They come in, they get their temperature taken. I mean, you don't really have to say a lot. Everything is different, and uh, you know, we, we're all wearing masks. We're all wearing, you know, uh, you know, this, that, and the other thing. So there's not a lot to say. They they notice it, but on the other hand, if you mess up, they notice it too. So you have to be really, really, you really have to be diligent about staying on the team and and making sure that. Even though it's not a big deal to you, like the, the example I was using happened in the office. Uh, uh, one of our assistant's cousins came for a cleaning, and obviously she went and gave them a hug. You know, we had to kind of tell her, hey, uh, you know, that doesn't look good to the other team members and the, and everybody else. So right. you just kind of, she's like, oh, my God, yeah. <laughs> so, well, we don't, you know, we don't think about that sometimes. Now, your wife is a pediatric dentist, and she practices in the same facility, correct? She does, yeah. So, it's a so how is that working with parents and kids? I mean, because I mean, we we have pediatric dentists that listen to this podcast, and we also have you know most of our clients uh, take children in their practices. How how has that changed? Yeah, she's seeing far fewer patients, obviously, uh, because you know pedo is just a is, is basically a numbers numbers, yeah. thing, right? Yeah. Yep. So she's seeing far less patients, uh, but she's working an, an extra day a week. So that's making up for it, as, as if you're wondering about the production piece. But listen, Art, a lot of people should remember this. Kids are home now. 
So if you have trouble and, and parents are home, so if you have trouble filling your midday things, um, that's maybe a good direction to go, you know, call them and bring the kids in, you know, in the middle, in the middle of the day. So we, whereas before, you know, everything in pedo happens from like three to six, seven, right? Um, because the kids are getting out of school right now, they're home in the middle of the day. They're kind of bored, um, you know, with nothing to do. So getting kids to come in is actually a little easier now than it used to be. So that's something to think about. You know, it's interesting. I have, I have a large pediatric dental practice that I've been consulting with for 30, 35 years and I get involved and we do, you know, we were doing twice a year meetings and all this stuff. And that was one of the biggest issues that we had was that in a lot of counties, the school district will not let you pull the kids out of school. I don't know how it is uh, up there, but, um, uh, and, and the parents don't want to pull the kids out of school. So, you, you know, you can't just say, oh, by the way, I'm going to offer you a, a job, but you can only work from three to six. That's hard <laughs> yeah. to find people. And it's, it's very hard to find people. I mean, uh, you know, it was before the pandemic. It's, it's now a, it just depends on where you are. But, um, but that was one of the biggest issues in, in pedo was you couldn't find anybody, um, you, you find people who would work and you couldn't get parents to get the kids in no matter what you did. And, and, and that's the same, that, that's what your wife's struggle is. But now that everybody is off school or they're doing virtual school, which is less time, you know, starting soon is, is that's a, that's an advantage for my pedi- pediatric dentist, right? That's right. That is. Uh, so how we used to handle it, I'm sure most of the pedodontists do the same thing, but it's worth a mention. Even before, um, if you, you know, it's, you won't pull a, your kid out of school to come and get a cleaning, maybe. You know, those have to be between three and seven. By the way, we're open till seven a lot of times and uh, mo- most days. Um, but th- you will pull a kid to come out and do fillings and, you know, extractions and those kind of things. So we would, we, our, our standard policy in the office is, you know, all the cleaning, all the fillings and all the extractions and all the work has to be done in the morning. And it's good for the kids and it's, you know, because they're not tired, exhausted after school. And it's also um, good for the practice. That's how we fill the morning, you know, the morning. So, and then all the hygiene we try to do between, there's exceptions, but for the most part, we try to stick to that. Well, you've given a lot of really good tips. I, I, I just love to have my listeners hear somebody who's in the trenches and doing everything that they need to do uh, to get back. Um, what are you doing? Like, I know, in fact, it, one of the, the people that referred you to me was, uh, my good friend, Joanne Tanner, um, and her podcast came out and, and she was just raving about, about you. So what are the, some of the things you're doing, like for the fourth quarter, uh, you know, we're getting down to Christmas and, you know, maybe people are not scheduling as much. Are you doing anything in that regards? So, uh, we've actually Joanne turned me on to the fact that hey, make sure you go look at your September, October, November uh, schedule, and I and I you know immediately the light went off and I and I sent um, this you know a message to my you know because we're on a group text with all my uh, classmates from class of '95 in UOP. Shout out! Uh, <laughs> we, we, You're you know, allowed. I'm telling you, we literally have spent well, sent ten thousand texts to each other in the last two three months. No joke. And so I sent, I said, hey, guys, go check here. Go check your September, October, November schedules and get back to me. And they're all like, oh, no. <laughs> so, so yeah, I am concerned. Uh, we did hire that extra person. And so we have availability for somebody to work on hygiene. We do like the idea of bringing patients in, you know, because a lot of them are allowed, uh, you know, twice a year cleanings on their, on their insurance benefits. We do like that idea. However, that's not how we make production. I mean, I could go into how we calculate production as a as a thing of um, as a uh, part of hygiene, but uh, I won't go into that. But the thing is, if you're bringing in three and four month recall patients, they don't have any work to do. You're getting some hygiene production, and uh, they probably it's good for the patients. That's, so that's good. But you really need patients who haven't been in for a while to get that. So reactivating patients, the way Joanne was talking about on your podcast, that's a great idea. Giving it incentives for them to come in. That's an amazing idea. I've actually planned to double and triple my marketing efforts during these. Um, I was going to ask you about that. Yeah. So we've never actually done any Google ads uh, to any great extent at that time. So uh, I've created a new website and uh, I'm planning to spend a good bit of marketing money on Google ads. We also do um, Chris Ad um, flyers. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Chris Ad. Been working with them almost as long as Hayden. 
Uh, we do those flyers and also, you know, the reactivating the patients and reactivating, um, you know, direct mail, whatever I can do. So, but I do plan to, again, you know, my philosophy is if you have a problem, try throwing some money at it and see if it sticks. <laughs> so, so this is, this is what I'm trying to do, um, you know, to, to get, uh, to make sure that, uh, September, October, November, December should be okay. I think we're back on track in December, unless God forbid, you know, something happens, we get shut right, down right. again or something like that. But, um, I think we're okay in December. So those, I, I'm trying to just pull in new patients, however I have to, uh, to make up for any lack. So I'm actually very, um, concerned but also super interested to see what happens in those in those months it tells a lot about the practice to see what happens you know when something like this happens right well i, I like i like the way you're thinking dr uh dr honey I, I really do because the ada took a survey and 55 percent of dentists said that they're going to bring themselves back to profitability by cutting overhead and I've been preaching for 36 years that that's not the way you make money in dentistry. You make money in dentistry by increasing your production and your production per visit and your production per hour and making sure patients come in, which are all the things that I'm sure that you do. I want to change gears here with you because you, you've got a very intriguing project that you've taken on. And, 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 and I, you know, when I heard about it, I thought, wow, this is, this is a great subject and I want to share it with everybody is obviously the relationship between the general dentist and the specialist and the referral. So, um, Dr. Ahani, talk a little bit about how you got into this whole project and maybe what's the, what's the issues that you're finding, and then we can talk about maybe some of the, the solution that you've, you've created. Uh, it could be that I'm just a glutton for punishment, Art. So we'll <laughs> <laughs> You and me both. We'll talk about that. Uh, okay, so as I said, you know, my wife's a pediatric dentist, my, my brother's an uh, endodontist, my cousin's an oral surgeon, my brother-in-law's a dentist, everybody. So we have a lot of dentists and specialists in the family, right? So I refer all my endo to my brother, for example. And even though, you know, it's my brother and we can, I can get him at a drop of a hat and send him a text or from people a text, you know, we still saw a lot of people drop off, um, drop off as, as they're being referred to his office. So, and, you know, for years, I've been basically, every time I hand a referral to a patient, I think all GPs, you know, um, all will recognize this thought. As, as soon as, like, the patient would come in, they'd need a lot of work, 10,000, 15,000, 20,000. And then there was this, like, one root canal that I can't do. And then as I'm handing in, as I'm handing this um, referral to the patient, I'm thinking to myself, God, I hope I see you again. And then I go to the front desk and say, hey, Jeanette, can you make sure that we see Mr. Smith again? He needs a lot of work. And then she'll put a little post-it somewhere. And then we just sit and wait for the final, you know, the final report to come. And obviously, my brother's office doesn't know that the patient's been referred. We did, we did email some referrals sometimes. Patient, my brother's office basically doesn't know that the patients have been referred. And so the patients never go and they never make it back to us. So it's a, it's a tracking these referrals better is a win-win for everybody, the patients, the, um, the patients, the, doc, uh, the specialists, and the GPs. Um, on a side note, you know, what really triggered it was I was having a conversation with a um, pretty well-known um, uh, malpractice attorney, and I was explaining to him what project that we were thinking about doing. And he said that, you know, Sam, about half of all um, litigations in dentistry come from this uh, mismanagement of uh, specialist uh, GP patient uh, communication. So he was he was really into it. So when he said that, then I I thought this is a good project, and um, we've been working on it ever since. So you shared a statistic with me that there's a certain I I don't know if this was in your practice or just nationwide is is a the percentage of um, referrals that you make that never make it to the specialist. Yeah. In my practice, the number is somewhere around 30 to 40%. Wow. If you, if you look on, well, it, it, you know, it depends on the specialty, right? I mean, how many, if you give 10 perio referrals out, how many of them go, you think, right. Art? Right? Uh, I'm, I'm going to guess half, maybe if you're lucky. There you go. If you're lucky. What about ortho? Yeah. yeah. Right? What if, if, if somebody needs four or five implants, you refer them to an oral surgeon out of 10, how many go? It's really not that hard to understand this. But if the oral surgeon was to call them right after they left the office and say, you've been referred by Dr. Ahani, we'd like to, you know, we'd like to schedule a consult with you, 20 or 30% of the time more, they're likely to go. 
it's not really it's not really rocket science. It's just basically good customer service, a nicer handoff, and better communication between the specialists and the general dentists and the patient. And um, if you look nationwide, there's not really dental referral numbers, but we found a lot of a um, lot of um, articles on medical referrals, and no no reason to think that that's any different. Uh, and they they range from forty uh, percent don't go to sixty five percent don't go for their for their referral. So it's a big number. It's a it's actually a, a huge problem, and uh, for GPs and specialists. And um, I thought it was worth solving. And I think I mean, is. let's do some simple math. Let's say that you diagnose that a patient needs four implants. Okay, yep. a, a quadrant of implants. Yep. Uh, the and again, Northern California fees. I'm I'm obviously not as familiar with as as Southern, but I'm guessing let's just use twenty five hundred dollars a tooth, depending if there's an abutment and things like that uh, for the implant for the for the periodontist or the oral surgeon. Right? Is that fair numbers? Um, it's it's probably an average number. Yeah. Yeah. So that's yep, ten thousand dollars for the specialist, yeah. and then you're going to come back. And you're going to put in the um, uh, the implant crown, which for you, most dentists charge more for an implant crown than they do for a um, you know traditional non-implant crown. That might be six, seven thousand dollars for you, right? Uh, it's it's um, it's it's closer to yeah, I would say six, seven thousand, six, seven thousand dollars. Yeah. So we got we got just with that one case, we've got sixteen, seventeen, maybe as much as twenty, twenty thousand dollars at play here. And if you're telling me that 30% or more don't do this, um, that's interesting. So tell me you have a, a solution. And before I, I doctor has a, uh, has created an app called Refera. Did I get that right? That's right. It's a play on the world referral. <laughs> yeah. I, I want to be real clear, clear before we start talking about this. Um, I do not take any kind of fees from anybody to promote products. I only promote things that I think are going to help my listeners and my dentists and my CPA practice on a podcast. So this this is not about a, uh, I, I'm doing a referral situation here. I, I I was so intrigued by this. I 36 years of dentistry, I'd never heard of it. So I want to learn more about it. So tell me how, it, how does it work? How does your app work? So, um, so basically it's a, um, you sign on to the site. And, uh, you know, mostly on the GP front, they, they hit the create referral button. And immediately on the other end, the specialist sees it on their dashboard. They pick up the phone or text the patient or however they usually communicate with patients. And they, they, they call the patient. They schedule them. When they schedule them, they click a little button that says scheduled on their dashboard. And that shows up on our site. As an outgoing referral, we see that that patient has been scheduled. If it sits there and it hasn't been scheduled, that's also noted. Any notes that they, those guys put into the schedule, we see on this side. So that the problem that that's solving is, hey, um, I don't have to call now to find out where this, where this referral is at. Uh, they can also communicate with the other office via a chat, which means you just leave a message and they answer you. So a lot of times it's like, can you send me the insurance info for so-and-so? Although the software does allow you to input all that information and send it to. And so... At each stage, when the patient's complete, it's marked as complete. You upload your uh, final report. Art, everything sits in one place. I think that's what, you know, I created this mostly for GPs, right? So from the GP perspective, it's really great to have all our referrals in one spot where we can monitor them. We can see who's been scheduled, who needs to come back. The other day I clicked and there was a, you know, we were short on, um, uh, there was, like there was an empty spot in the chair. And there was a patient who had like two implants placed who was ready for um, things. So I went on refer. I said, and I told the team, hey, guys, uh, did you guys see this? They said, oh, they just came through. So she just gotten done like yesterday. And so we, we called her up and brought her in for the, uh, for the implant crown. So it's, it's, it's kind of, it's not really that difficult. It's pretty simple. And the, the point I want to make on this, on our software, which is different than, than others is, you can send a referral whether the person is on the network or not. The way we do that is uh, we have a database of all the dentists in the country. You select, you put their email address in if they're not in on Refera, and we then will email them that referral. And they can click and they can be on the dashboard too. So it's got kind of this network effect that, um, that, that, that can happen. And in our area, you know, 25 offices have signed up, about 100 offices have signed up 
25 of them are using it uh, daily and we're just about to take it to market and, and start to um, start to get the word out on it a little bit more. What kind of feedback are you getting from the dentists that are using it? You know, the ones that use it solid, they love it. Uh, the trouble is getting, getting, you know, changing the way like you do some stuff in the office, the front is, office administrator front yeah. office is a little bit difficult because, you know, they used to hand out a referral to a patient, just like, you know, squiggle the patient's name and then maybe a phone number and click something or check something. And then they would give it to the patient thinking that that's the end of the referral, but that's not really the end. The end was that then the office calls and says, what, what's their insurance information? Can you upload their x-rays? Can you do this? Can you do that? So actually, our software saves a lot of time, although it does, it, you know, it, it appears to the, you know, the GPs that it's, it's not saving time, but it's saving a lot of time because it, just filling out that thing is, was not the thing. Uh, we also can do integrations, which basically uploads all the patient's information um, easily onto the software. So that does make it a lot easier. And you mentioned liability, and I hadn't even thought about that. Um, I mean, do you have some examples that you can give where if a patient doesn't go to the specialist where there could be a lawsuit? Yeah, uh, I, have a, I have a great one. Um, actually, it's not our case. I think, I think this thank, one... Thank, I, goodness, thank goodness it's not your case, right? It's not my case. I, would, I wouldn't do that. No, uh, but what happens is... Okay, so for, for example, the, um, the dentist referred the... Uh, the kid to uh, an orthodontist to do uh, ortho. Midway through treatment, the orthodontist uh, refers him back to the uh, general dentist saying that he's got decay on 18 and 19 and to take care of it. The, the parent never goes. It's, it's actually noted in the chart that the parent um, was given a referral back to the GP to get these taken care of. They never take care of it. Uh, next thing you know, they take the bands off and those two teeth are, are, uh, are, uh, have to be extracted because they're blown, you know, they're, um, they're yeah. yeah. So mom says, I never got that referral. And the doctor says, I, it's right here in the chart. And, you know, it's very easy to see in an ortho office that they see 60 to 80 patients a day, mm -hmm. you know, 50 to 80. I mean, I don't know what the number is, but it's astronomical. That, that's about right. Yeah. In, yeah. A, in a very busy ortho office, 60 to 80 is not unusual. It's not hard to understand that, you know, the doctor told the assistant, please give him a referral back for this, but the assistant never did. That's easy to see. Um, so with our system, basically, if you refer them back, you could do a refer back to the original office and the patient gets text and email saying that you've been referred back, please go. The other office sees it on the other side, hopefully calls the patient and schedules it. That's one, that's one example. The other one that everyone's familiar with is when you, when you check mark those little marks on, on, on that uh, referral slip, our system prompts you to, you know, to, um, to make sure that those truth numbers are correct and you have to certify that like with the check mark. And then you hit. So the wrong tooth numbers on those lab slips, on the referral slips, is another is another big deal. I have a story on that one too, but it's too no, long. go ahead, go ahead, tell it, tell that one. Okay, so um, we not us, but we refer a GP refers to an endodontist for three and four for um, for uh, root canals and evaluation. So goes to the endodontist, the endodontist determines that number three can be saved. So he does the root canal number three. Number four, though, is too far gone and needs to go to uh, an oral surgeon. So she sends the uh, referral now to the oral surgeon, marks three and four on, on, the, um, on the referral slip. It goes to the oral surgeon. The oral surgeon sees their initial referral that says, uh, please evaluate, looks at the pre-op x-rays, which are from the GP. And, and doesn't realize that the root canal has been done on number three somehow, okay? Mm. And takes out both of those teeth. Oh. I know, but, you know, you know, it seems difficult, but, like, you know, these guys are seeing 30 patients a day. It's not, yeah. that, hard to, it's not that hard to imagine, you know? No, to miss something. And, and the great thing is that with your app, everything is documented, right? Everything is in one place, and, and it's all documented, and every note that's placed in there is, you can see it in the history in chronological order. It's, um, it's. I mean, I, I might be biased, but I think it's a pretty cool thing. No, I mean, and, and you know, you look at, we're trying to generate production. And, and when there's a referral involved, this is not just a, you know, two surface composite restoration. These are, these are thousands and sometimes tens of thousands of dollars in, in case revenue, right? 
These are your best patients. You know, the, a lot of times they talk about hygiene and how keeping hygiene in the loop, right? You're supposed to pre-appoint every single hygiene patient, right? But this is kind of the same thing, isn't it? If you, if you, you know, Art, how many new patients does an average office get a month, do you think? Uh, I, I'm going to say that my, you know, the consultants teach that a, a single doctor producing out of about four operatories, we, we like, you know, 12 to 18 new patients a month. That's what we like to see, you know, maybe 20 at the most. Okay, so, so let's say 15, for example. Right. And on average, how many do you suppose get referred out in a month? I mean, just take a wild guess. It was, for my office, it was way more than I thought, by the out way. Out of 15, I'm going to say 20%, maybe three or four. No, overall in the office. like uh, oh, oh, how many referrals? Oh, my yeah. goodness. It depends. In a busy office? I mean, I've had doctors because I remember I sell dental practices and, and oh, I'll yeah. ask. How many root canals? How many how many endo referrals do you make? How many perio? And I'll hear, oh, oh my goodness, we probably make ten, you know, five to ten a week sometimes. I That's mean, right. you've got a busy office; it could be that high. Okay, so let's say uh, let's take a low number. Let's say they refer out 20, 20 a week, uh, twenty a month, twenty That's a month, five a week. Yeah, two hundred and forty referrals that you keep track of a year. And if you take back that length of two years, right, because that's kind of the window, isn't it, for like a referral maybe? Uh -huh. That's 400, you know, whatever, 80 referrals you have to keep track of. How are we tra keeping track of these referrals? Yeah, because the front office has nothing else to do but just keep yeah, track, track of those referrals. Right? That's right. Exactly. So if you, th if you think about it, if even 30% of those are getting um, getting lost, that's like three months worth of new patients. <laughs> Four months okay. worth of patients. Oh, yeah. So, so let, let's tell, let's tell the listeners kind of how this works. How, first of all, what, what's the website? It's a www.referra.com. Okay. And so they go on there. So, so do they, do they pay for this? Uh, is it a, a monthly fee? Is it by patient? How does that work? So we have a, so, you know, one of the things we have to figure out is that how do we make it so that Dentists don't mind having their specialists get this software and, and specialists don't mind asking their GPs to get it. So the money conversation is, is tough. So the solution we came up with is we have a very powerful version for GPs. GPs can do virtually everything on the software for free. Okay. And we have a very powerful version for specialists um, for free also. So you can basically use this thing for free and it's still a way better system than you ever had before. If you're, if so for the GP part, uh, we charge for integration with like your Dentrix and stuff, $99 a month. It does make things a lot easier, but it's not a, it's not, um, you know, it's not a deal breaker. It's, it, it saves you some time and some, it makes it a lot better, but you don't have to have it. On the specialist char side, we charge them $199 a month, uh, for the reporting which is really valuable to them because now they can see who sent them how many and what time frame, right. uh, how fast the front office is scheduling those patients. Um, you know, it's a lot of information that they never had before. And also if, on the free version, we don't surface the patient's contact information because our value prop is that if you call these patients, they will 30% more will, more will come. So if you don't think that's true, you don't have to call the patient first. Just wait for the patient to call you just like you did before because they got the text and the email. But for $200 a month, you get that contact information, and it's, it's virtually a no-brainer, I think. Well, and I would think that the specialists who want you to refer would be jumping all over this thing. Uh, the uh, the specialists like it and the GPs like it, and it's, and it's actually pretty great for both. So, um, you know, and the way we have it set up, the way that networking is, the way that you, you add people to your network, that kind of stuff is, is really, really cool. They are all over it. It's just a way of, you know, it's a change. The reason I'm, I'm you know, I want to talk about this, you know, in person on podcasts and things is because you just have to get people to recognize the problem. It's actually a pretty big problem, that bigger problem that a lot of things you're trying to solve in your practice right now. Wow. And, and it's, again, I, I mean, there's all kinds of things in a dental office and a dental business. And especially during these very, very challenging times that we're in, um, this is another way to, you know, generate revenues in your practice. And, um, you know, so it's, uh, so you say you work with about a hundred offices right now nationwide. That's right. Yeah. Right. And, um, the, and, and you say they, they, they've seen increases 
and 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 more you know fluidity and the and and the patients are coming down. Now, one more question because we're running uh, to the this, this goes so fast. I tell you, it's so much fun, but it goes so fast. Um, who's the one? So you know the the uh, the GP makes the referral to the specialist. All right, and then we don't hear. What do you recommend that they wait? two or three days to schedule or do you, how, how does that work? And then who makes the call? Because you don't want to get a call from the GP and the specialist for the patient because that's a little overkill, isn't it? We don't, we, so the GP refers them out. The patient gets a text and email that gives them the information for the referring office. Says you've been referred to Dr. So-and-so. And then the specialist sees it on their dashboard on the other side and they call at, well, we don't recommend that they wait. Uh, they, right. It's kind of up to them. But what happens is, like, um, like we literally are sometimes see, because, uh, you know, we have a timestamp, right? When the referral was created and then when the patient was scheduled, sometimes it's like 10 minutes, 12 minutes apart. And it's because the specialist understands that they need to call these patients while, you know, it's fresh in their mind. While they the just iron is hot. They, yep. Yeah, they, they call and then sometimes they schedule them within, you know, 10 or 12 minutes. And I, and I swear to God, sometimes I'm like, this, this person still has to be at the general dentist office. They probably didn't even leave yet. Right. <laughs> but, but that showed people like being on the cutting edge. Now, you also mentioned a case where a, your orthodontist found uh, 18 and 19 was a problem and they needed to send them back to the GP. And that didn't happen. So does it work the same way that the specialist would put in the referral and then the general dentist would then go ahead and, and, and call the patient? It's exactly the same way. So basically, they, they, the referral is there. There's a button that says refer back. And the specialist, um, the specialist uh, clicks the button. So all the patient's information is already in there and just you know types in what the patient needs to have done. The patient gets a text and an email, says that you've been referred back to your general dentist. So there's no question anymore that, you know, if it was done or it wasn't done or whatever, this general dentist then sees it on their side in their needs action, and then they they call and schedule the patient. That's fantastic. So one more, one more time, and, I, and we're, we're coming to about the end of our time here. One, one more time. So, so the, the, the website is, is www.refera.com. Is that correct? That's correct. And if anybody wants to contact me directly. Yeah, go ahead and give out your contact information, please. Yeah, it's just sam at refera.com. That's how how we scheduled this podcast. So there you go. And um, yeah, just give him an email. Again, Dr. Uh, doctor, you, you, you just in, intrigued me when we talked and when Joanne was talking about you, and I'm thrilled that you were able to come on today. Any final comments about any advice? I mean, you, you run a, I mean, a big practice between you and your wife. We're not going to give out your numbers, of course, uh, but, but it's a very successful practice. Any last tips that you can give to our doctors for like going forward to keep the momentum going? I, I, I want to give this advice, and this is something that I struggle with every day is you really have to make sure that you take care of yourself. Uh, you know, COVID will come, COVID will go, production will come, production will go. You need to make sure that, you know, you're, you're taking care of yourself so that you can take care of your office, so you can take care of your family. Dentistry is not an easy business. Um, you know, I've, I'm 54 now. I've been in this for, I don't know, a, l- a long time. <laughs> I don't know, 27 years? I don't know, something uh-huh. like that. Yeah. So, so one of the things that I uh, that I really want to tell people is that is that you really even even though these are hard times or whatever, don't forget you know you have to take care of yourself first before you can take care of everybody else in your practice. Yep, that that's great advice. So, Dr. Sam Mahani, thank you so much for your wisdom today, helping our doctors. I I know, I hope doctors that you'll listen to some of the tips that that doctor gave as far as things to be doing with your patients. And the, the thing I love the best that you said today was, was, you know, don't, you need to spend money during this time. It's like I say, marketing people say you need to spend more money marketing when the times are tough. And, and this, uh, the solution that you have for the relationship between the specialist and the general dentist sounds really fascinating. I'm going to certainly uh, mention it to some of my clients. So Dr. Ahani, thank you so much. Just hang on for a little bit. And um, as I wrap this up, uh, again, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We are exploding. I mean, uh, we're, we're, we're just in, um, you know, gaining new and new, newer and newer, newer and newer, I don't know if newer and newer is a word, more and more listeners. I get so excited about this every single week. Uh, if you want to give me a call, you have a question about anything that's going on, 
uh, in dentistry, any of the podcasts we've done, uh, my number in my office is 657-279-3243. Email me at artwiederman at gmail.com, my email at the office. Uh, you can email me the, there too is a Wiederman, W-I-E-D-E-R-M-A-N at Ide Bailey, E-I-D-E-B-A-I-L-L-Y.com. Uh, go on to Decisions in Dentistry. Uh, look at their great CE courses and their great uh, content. Uh, fantastic magazine. If you want a complimentary consultation with an Academy of Dental CPA member, um, that's where to go. And uh, mark the box and we'll get you in touch with our member in your area. And again, if you're looking for a dental-specific CPA anywhere in the United States, uh, www.adcpa.org. Dr. Sam Ahani, thank you so much for your time today and your wisdom and your expertise. I appreciate it, Art. Thank you so much. That was a lot of fun. Uh, that is fun. And tell Hayden I said hi. Uh, and that is it, everyone, for this edition of the Art of Dental Finance and Management with Art Wiederman CPA. Stay strong and remember my saying, as I mentioned earlier today, five words, failure is not an option. You have worked way, way, way too hard to accomplish what you've accomplished in your practices. And we are not going to let a virus take that away from you. So everything that you can do to make your practice better, be proactive, be a leader. And thanks for listening. Please tell all your friends about the podcast and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.